Welcome to Hub & Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub & Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription-based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Good morning. Hi, everybody. This is Carolyn Davis. I'm the managing editor at Natural Gas Intelligence. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of NGI's Hub and Flow podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Matthew Johnson, who is the CEO of Primary Vision. As you may know, the lower 48 natural gas and oil industry has been a bit up and down this year. The U.S. rig count is up one week and down the next as development activity has trailed, following the outperformance last year following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now that the second quarter has ended and the earnings results for oil field services companies and their exploration and production customers are rolling out, Matt is joining us to provide insight into where we are and where we are going. Thank you so much for joining us today, Matt. Could you please tell our customers about Primary Vision and the journey it has taken over the past few years? And specifically, who are your customers? Thank you, Carolyn. And again, we're appreciative of the invite and natural gas intelligence and the relationship we've had over the years. Telling the story of Primary Vision is one of a lot of changes. I often compare Primary Vision to the little speedboat that could. We're able to make those quick pivots and try new things and test new things because we are, in nature, a startup. We started in 2000. Well, way before that is a different iteration and a completely different company that did a lot of services for the entertainment industry. And basically focused on data. In 2011, I was presented a project for then consulting firm who was looking to take a specific database of completions, clean it up, and extract some vital information. From there, within a few short months, Primary Vision was born as this data company that really was kind of the first iteration of the company. And from there, we started building some intellectual property with what now is called our frack spread count as we almost enter our 10th summer. So Primary Vision has worn a lot of hats over the years, is somewhat of a production company, is somewhat of a data company, and provides a lot of commentary and color on the frack market in the United States with a focus on commercial frack, and also some of the global macro, geopolitics, and global oil and gas story that's so important tied back to hydraulic fracturing in the United States. So we can provide a 360-degree view of the market with updates in various forms, like I mentioned, from data, commentary, and video on a weekly basis. And that's really what Primary Vision, which is now called Primary Vision Network, is and continues to be. Thank you for that. I'm really interested if you could explain to our listeners what the frack spread count is. We've talked before and you've compared it to the Baker Hughes weekly rig count. Generally, what information does it provide and how do your customers use it? 
So the Frack Sprint Count was born out of a project with a super major that was trying to identify the relationships they had with their suppliers, particularly in the northeast part of the United States, which is representative of two basins we call the Marcellus and the Utica, which we roll up into one basin we call the Appalachian Market. And through this project, we identified that we were able to take completions data and source and provide additional information around who the pressure pumper was. And this is really what they were trying to understand, this relationship between their suppliers or pressure pumpers, but also competitively who other operators in the same basin were using to see if there was other opportunities. So out of this was born the frac spread count. And the frac spread count is a number of active pressure pumpers, spreads, or sets of equipment. We call them spreads. There's a lot of different nomenclature in the business, from fleets to stim crews to completion crews. But the frac spread count is the active number of pressure pumper spreads that perform completions on a weekly basis. This number utilizes max. So if the frac spread count is 280 on Monday and it goes down by one every day until Sunday, the frac spread count would be 280 for that week. The number is reported on Friday afternoon, and it's really designed to understand when these completion crews execute fracking, right? Or hydraulic fracking, fracturing, whatever your nomenclature is. Again, everybody uses kind of a different term for this, but, you know, we try to understand how many of these companies are out there, where they are, who they're working with, what types of treatments they're doing, and then if there's any movement uh, between those sets of equipment. Are they moving from one basin to another? Are they moving from one operator to another? And following all of the seasonality and trends that, say, the Baker Hughes rig count would do as well. But remember, the Baker Hughes rig count follows the rigs, which drill the holes in the ground. And the frac spread count tracks the completion crews, which extracts the oil and gas from the ground, utilizing hydraulic fracturing, and ties it in so that we can actually have a producing well that can be monetized and eventually optimized. Yeah, that's such key information for for our customers. You know, I was thinking about this. The oil field services companies are really the lifeblood of the uh, exploration and production industry because they're fueled by the E&Ps. And until you can get a really good idea of exactly what OFS is doing in the in the oil fields and the gas fields, it's really difficult to determine how much production is coming up. Can you tell us how the frac spread count has evolved since you first introduced it in the Northeast in terms of the market reach now? Sure. Originally, our target customer was to focus on, at the time, there was almost a thousand active operators in the United States, which is crazy to think because I think the number now is closer to 350. So one third of the business is left over from the operating standpoint. There's a lot of non-operating operators, but on the public and private side, we have about three to 400 active operators but at the time, too, Carolyn, we had almost 75 pressure pumpers making up 500 spreads in the market, millions of horsepower out there and active and marketed. We used to use nomenclature called warm and hot and cold and cool to represent where this equipment status was. But now we're down to about 315 spreads in the market. 
And the initial customer was for us to sell to the operator and the pumper and for them to understand those relationships so that they could fine tune those relationships or maybe understand that a competitor was doing something better or cheaper. And it evolved from there. Oh, that's really, that really helps put a focus on what you do. So let's make some news here since you talked about news. What is the trend of the frac spread count since the start of the year? And do you have a forecast about where we're going and why? Sure. So this has been an interesting year, and I'll toot my own horn here and say that the frac spread count forecasts we made in January through June were excellent. We had a little bit of a decline during that gas slump as we pushed down to about $2 a unit. But now as we see, you know, approaching 275, we might see some revitalization there. However, the numbers right now is 263. That's reflective of activity through the end of last Friday. And obviously, the number's updated every Friday. So the next update will be on the 21st of this week. So just to give you kind of relativity, this is through July 14th. The frac spread count is 263. That represents 263 active pressure pumpers out there in the United States with sets of equipment running, you know, millions of horsepower, and then all of the equipment that makes up that unit, all the labor that makes up that unit as well. So what we've seen here is a lot of volatility over the last handful of weeks. As we've seen the rigs decline almost 100 in, throughout the lower 48 from December to now, we're seeing the spread count also feel some volatility. We've seen a lot of the gaspier basins, particularly in the Hansville and the Appalachian markets, see the rotation of equipment out of those basins and into oily basins. And then moving forward, Carolyn, for the rest of this year, you know, we think activity is going to resume its seasonal trend, which is for it to get almost back to 100%, which would push us close to 300 spreads. However, even in just a, you know, we we redid our, our forecast in June, we're even seeing the trend that maybe we're going to see a little bit of middling here, and maybe that's a good sign. Maybe we hover in that 200 and 50 to 275 frac spreads versus the 275 to 300 we're forecasting for the end of this year because I think a lot of operators are being cautious. They're looking at their shareholder responsibility and they're looking at their, you know, effectiveness in the field. And, you know, some of these operators are just more focused on gas. So they're going to be patient, extracting, and probably finding a better time However, in the oily basins, you know, we're right at that $75, $80 price point. This is right where Saudi Arabia wants to be. So the oily basins and the oil-focused operators are definitely going to stay busy throughout the year. It's just that will we see this rotation of gas equipment rotate into the oily basins and then be maximized to get us up to that full frac spread count capacity of, say, 300 or 315 spreads? Well, we kind of believe that that's going to happen. However, we still stay keep our meter at cautiously uncertain while we move into the summer months and fall, which typically are very busy times for pressure pumping oil field service companies. Yes, they really are. I'll tell you, it, it, it is very uncertain, it seems to me. I've been writing about this for a few years, and uh, usually you can get a pretty good idea and listening to earnings calls, but you're right. I think putting in that uncertainty a little bit is probably wise. <laughs> Who knows? 
I would like for you to explain to the the listeners what available horsepower capacity really means. You've talked about how many active pressure pumpers there are in the marketplace, but how much horsepower capacity is available and how much is being used? And this is a great question. And this is a bone of contention among companies like myself who count this number of horsepower because let's take ourselves back a couple of years when we had almost 500 spreads available in the market or what we refer to as marketed spreads. This meant equipment that could be deployed for work within a week's notice. However, there were some labor concerns as well there too. But then let's move into covid The frack spread count moved down to almost 50, so we had almost a seventh of the activity that we did just previously in Q1 of 2020, and then we saw the frack spread count go down. And what happened? It was a natural decline in the health of this equipment, right? We saw companies go out of business. We saw equipment be sold off and parsed off. We saw it go to auction to you know, foreign entities, both in the Middle East and in South America. We saw companies just not able to keep their lights on as a result of COVID and as a result of the decrease in activity. So that gear found its way out of the market. And we moved from, like I mentioned, almost 450 to 500 spreads to just about 350. And we've even seen a little bit more of a decline over the last year. So in the horsepower department, we believe right now there's about 268 active spreads, like I mentioned before, 263. And this is through July. So numbers are going to be up or down a little bit, but active horsepower is a little bit over 14 million. And then the marketed spreads, which represents the total number of equipment that's available in the entire capacity, or, you know, the utilization, total utilization is 263, but the marketed spreads are 310. So, you know, active horsepower is about 14 million and marketed horsepower is a little bit under 17 million. But we want to add one little caveat to that. Again, we used to count this equipment and look at the health of it, when it can be go, when it can be turned on. And it used to be represented by what we called warm and hot. And basically hot meant it was working that day. Warm could be, means it's just leaving the well pad and moving to another well pad. And really it's working. It just needs to get to its destination. And then we had cool and cold. And those statuses really meant cool meant it could be activated, but it might require labor or another truck or some maintenance or something to get it into the rotation. And cold meant that that equipment most probably wasn't going to find life. However, it could, it just might take three or six months to get it activated, hire people, et cetera, et cetera. And usually this colder equipment was used for maintenance purposes or replacements one for one, et cetera. So Primary Vision just kind of announced to its customers that we believe somewhere in the market between the big five, Halliburton, Next Year, Liberty, ProPetro, and ProFrac, between those five companies, which represent about 80% of the total frac supply in the market, there's an additional roughly 2 million horsepower that is really being used, Carolyn, to increase the size of equipment being used on the well pad. And if we remember just five, six, seven years ago, the average horsepower on a well pad would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 40,000 horsepower. Now we're closer to 50,000. And we've seen jobs go much bigger than that into what we call these super spreads, eclipsing 100,000 horsepower, but with Simulfrac and some of the new technologies of 
fracking wells at the same time, we're seeing the average increase. In fact, next year claims that they have almost 65,000 horsepower per spread and others as well. Because of this extra equipment that's being used out there, the bigger jobs, which ultimately are more rewarding for the operators because costs are lower than they were, stage pricing is lower, and consumables are a little bit higher than they were. That's the water, the profit, the chemicals that were, you know, were being used for the downhole work. But you know, when we look at this horsepower right now, we think that there's a really you know, set number of equipment, roughly about 315 spreads, making up roughly 16 to 17 million horsepower. And we do believe there's about 2 million horsepower of this extra equipment, for whatever you want to call it, that's going to be used for rotation, maintenance, one-for-one replacement. And that's really made up of that big five companies I mentioned to you, which has that extra horsepower for these bigger jobs as operators look to do bigger, longer laterals and extract more, ultimately extracting more oil and gas, which is really the name of the game here, right, Carolyn? Right, right. Just incredible. You're right about how horsepower has changed. And segueing into that, what do the pressure pumping calendars look like to the end of the year from what you've seen from the intel that you've gathered? I know budgets are usually eaten up by the final quarter, but is there some slack in the work schedules overall that you guys are seeing? So this is interesting because one of the indicators we follow really closely is the number of jobs being completed. Again, this could have a lot of different nomenclature. You could call it a stimulation, a completion. We call them a frack job here inside of primary vision. And it happens to be one of the major inputs for the frack spread count. On a weekly basis, we've really seen that trend kind of stay in line with what it typically is this time of year which is why we're calling for an increase in activity throughout the summer into the fall, which seasonally happens. However, like you know, we mentioned earlier on, on this call here, primary vision has its own internal indicator to the health of the market, and that was cautiously optimistic throughout 2022. That's moved a little bit left to cautiously uncertain. So At this point in time, while we were confident in our forecast through Q1 and Q2, our forecast for Q3 and Q4 are precarious, we believe, at this point. That's interesting. Where in the country are we seeing the most investments in pressure pumping and completions? I'm assuming it's the Permian Basin, but are there other basins that are drawing more or less development than they were a year or two ago? And why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that there was a lot of excitement about the revitalization of the Haynesville. And of course, obviously, the increase in activity overall in the Appalachian market made up of the Marcellus and Utica. And then, you know, the gas pricing deck, Carolyn, just didn't play nice. And I think we all were thinking that potentially there would be a colder winter, which would elevate, you know, the Ukraine Russia war, which would ultimately lead us to uh, a pressure in the gas markets, particularly in the price deck, delivery of products and end products, natural gas liquids that really are such a big part of human survival. However, we had a mediocre winter, and this really helped the Ukrainian people. It helped the people of Europe to not have to feel the pressure of these increase in price of gas because we already had had a tough year the year before. Combine that with inflation and rates and and all these things that have caused difficulty since COVID, this was one bright sign that, okay, the warmer winter helped us. However, 
I want to be very cautious to say that we could just as well have a rough four, six, eight week period here, not only in the US, but in Europe, and we could see gas prices increase and we could see those activity measurements increase in the United States as demand increases. However, at this point in time, operators saw the gas pricing deck hover around $2, even though we've seen an improvement over the last couple months, getting us closer to $275 a unit. We're still seeing caution from the operators, and we're going to see caution as we move into the fall as well. Yeah, that sounds uh, like a few things that I've heard, and that's really good insight. I want to ask you about a topic that I hear some of the pressure pumping companies and the equipment companies talk about, but I'm understanding that it's not as big as perhaps the PR and those are the electric fleets, the E-fleets that they talk about, that some companies tout to reduce emissions. Obviously, they reduce emissions, and it, it is a growing business. But in reality, how big is the market today? And um, do you see that changing anytime soon? So towards the end of 2021, we did a, a long-scale project that took about eight months for us to research the entire electric spread business. And we did it in two parts. We looked closely at comparing the current technologies we had now to what the differences would be between, say, a conventional spread, a conventional with DGB or dual fuel, and then compared that to the electric spread components. And one thing we learned pretty quickly was there wasn't a winner in the technology department. And we think this is probably one of the biggest factors to why this market hasn't grown. We were expecting about 100% growth from 2021 to now, and really, we had about 15% growth. Now, let's combine that with rates and inflation and the fact that there's a lot of equipment out there that's still functional and usable. But let me go backwards here. You'll understand, and and the listener here will understand why we're at where we're at with the market. And we go into this much deeper. We're writing a very large uh, story about this right now. But the electric spread market is made up of about 23 spreads right now. And they're combined between companies like Evolution, Halliburton, Liberty, Profrac. Next year, you're going to see ProPetro release about four electric spreads this year. They claim that by quarter three, they'll have two additional spreads that they'll deploy. And by Q4, they'll have two more. So that's not that much equipment, right? What's really interesting is There is no ubiquity amongst that equipment. Everybody has a little bit different technology or a little bit different schematic or diagram that they use or maybe a different power source, you know? So like we say right now, there's one company that believes that it's grid power and that's the only way we'll be able to kind of mobilize this type of large set of new electric powered equipment. While there's others that believe liquid natural gas is the only way and the way that they have their mechanisms in place through turbine power or some type of switchover. There's all different types of technology here. And I don't want to get too too into it because we are researching that, continuing to research that, but everybody has a slightly different technology. And, you know, you've got one company that swears by the microgrid or attaching to the grid. You've got another company who believes it's all about building your own intellectual property. And then you have another company that's going out there and acquiring as much of the electric spreads as they can to learn as much as they can about it. Because there has been some stability through companies like Evolution and U.S. Well Services, which now makes up ProFrac. ProFrac, you know, purchased them last year through a, uh, an acquisition. And, 
you know, evolution in U.S. oil services kind of make up the generality of electric spreads. However, going forward, it seems like everybody wants to kind of have a little bit different technology. So one thing I want to add in here is that there isn't quite ubiquity. The capital markets aren't really looking at adding electric spreads right now. So that is why we're kind of where we are, right? Ultimately, the money hasn't come in here. And the relationships that operators had with pumpers at one point to help them and say, well, we'll pay for a portion of some of this equipment or subsidize it if we get a longer-term contract. Some of those deals kind of fell through. And then, of course, COVID wrap all that up into a bundle, and you have a multitude of issues as to why the electric spreads haven't grown. But I want to add something I think that's really interesting in our initial research here. We just did a study looking at all of the equipment and the emission engine emission standards. And it's quite eye-opening to understand that there's a lot of what we call tier two equipment out there, which is, you know, just a conventional diesel spread. That makes up about 50% of the market. So that means that equipment was built between 2006 and 2010. That gives us a lot of really old equipment in the market. So if we see orders coming in, Carolyn, for replacement equipment, that's either tier four or tier four dual, which is basically what we're going to see in replacement markets right now. We're going to see one for one, right? We're not going to see that tier two equipment stay and, and continue to be utilized or conform to a dual fuel scenario. And we're just starting to see that announcements, as you might have seen from last quarter, ProPetro announced that they're retiring 140,000 horsepower that saw the end of its life. And I think we're going to start to see some of that. So the capacity of the market probably will not increase. It will be more one-for-one replacement. However, we do want to be very clear that there's a lot of equipment out there that's somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 18 years old, not getting any younger. So the investment is going to have to happen over the next five to 10 years. We think the electric market has a great 10-year run ahead of it. However, it looks like the bridge technology is going to be tier four dual fuel as a resource for using diesel and natural gas as inputs. However, the technology will be slightly different with some trailers carrying more horsepower and some carrying less. Again, so every pressure pumper is looking for their own advantage, particularly in the intellectual property part of the technology. I'd like to um, turn to uh, Primary Vision's new data offering set that's going to be debuting in a couple of months. Can you tell us about it and uh, what it's going to address for your customers? Sure. So we're really excited about this. This is something that's been in development now for six years. And I mentioned it earlier. It's one of our inputs for the frack spread count. It's going to be called the frack job count. This is going to be a little bit different. This is going to focus on the number of completions a pressure pumper does to a specific well. The goal of the frack job count is for companies that look closer at completions, or again, each job or frack job in this case, that are tied to a specific well to better understand correlations intelligence and production it's something that will sit alongside the frack spread count it will continue to be an input for the frack spread count but it will also stand on its own it will utilize a little bit different methodology the frack spread count utilizes max the frack job count will utilize total one thing that we did decide and why it's taking us a little bit longer to release this this year was we were going to do monthly but it really kind of makes sense for the frack spread count frack job count to have their own releases on the same day 
So you can kind of follow that story because really as you see the evolution of the frack jobs, you'll see the evolution of the frack spread. Those are correlated. One of the tricks of the frack spread count is it doesn't really follow the rate cap. Does it in the long term? Yes, but we have seen situations where the frack spread count has separated itself from the rate count and can even leap over the rate count in basins like the DJ and the Bakken. We've seen this before historically. I have one final question for you. Obviously, you're enthusiastic about what you do. Your business is growing. What are some business opportunities that you might be able to share with what you're looking at, what your team is looking at down the line? One of the things that's kind of been left and we believe is so important for the next 50 to 100 years is the natural gas liquid space. And this is something that we've been building for about three years in collaboration with our partner, Mark Rosano, and also the talent on our YouTube show. Mark helped us build this NGL monitor to understand activity. There's just so much importance to the natural gas liquid market. And we're looking to that to be one major business opportunity for us. We actually are excited to say we we got our first big contract with a, a major midstream company who's looking to leverage this data and understand a little bit more information about a specific portion of the market. I have to be careful about the words I say here for non-disclosure purposes, but the point here is, Carolyn, as you know, at Natural Gas Intelligence, the natural gas liquid market is extremely important. It will be here, maybe outlast the crude market. I'll tell you, Matt, I think I could probably talk to you for the rest of the day. Unfortunately, this is all the time we have. I so appreciate you taking time from your very busy schedule to speak with me about Primary Vision and for sharing your insights. If you'd like to know more about Primary Vision to our listeners, please visit their website. And for more insight into the North American natural gas industry, take some time to check us out at naturalgasintel.com. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub and Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.